Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Live and Learn with Daniel Floyd. For those of you that don't know me, I'm your host, Daniel. I'm a teacher and a family man, striving to be better every day through open-minded conversations. If this is your first time listening, thank you for joining us. On this episode, I sit down with my wife to discuss an idea that I've been thinking a lot about lately. That idea is learning. What is learning? What is a learner? How do teachers know whether their students are actually learning or not? Now, these might seem like simple or trivial questions, but I think they're critical for us teachers whose entire careers are predicated on others learning. Our conversation in this episode is largely inspired by a book that I recently finished. It's called The Seven Laws of Teaching by John Milton Gregory. In this book, Gregory presents seven overarching principles about teaching that apply to all teachers in any context, regardless of age group or subject area. In this episode, I wanted to talk to Shalene about two of the seven laws. The second law, which talks about what it means to be a learner, and the sixth law, which talks about what it means to go through the learning process. During our discussion, I share how these two principles have impacted my work as a teacher, and Shalene talks about how maybe her high school education wasn't as in-depth as she thought. We both thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, and I hope you enjoy it as well. If you're listening to this and you know someone who's a teacher, go ahead and send them this episode and encourage them to share their feedback. As always, I'm active on Twitter, and my email is down in the show notes. Feel free to reach out and tell us what you think about the episode. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done so already. Thank you again for listening. Let's get into it. Fair enough. And I'm trying to think of other things that you do. I don't know. I do nothing here at the Floyd House. No, you do a lot. I'm just joking. I just can't think of it currently. I don't know. But you need to learn like how to reconcile our accounts and to make sure you can get into all of our accounts and like our insurance stuff. And like, I don't know. I've just been thinking about like if something happened to me, like you were up many creeks without any paddles <laughs> fair enough yeah you do all the logistics for our finances and stuff like that and so yeah. yeah it'd be useful to know how to do we definitely make financial decisions together but yes uh you're the one who like logs in and does all the things pays attention yes that's fair so well so cross training or at least having just an instruction manual or a shared spot for all the information to be yeah something yeah mm-hmm. we should do it mm-hmm. at least a shared note so you have like passwords and like a list of like these are all the things that you need to know what's up fair enough yeah i like it well speaking of learning new things you know it 
I uh, wanted to talk to you about something I've been thinking about that is teacher related. Okay. And so you've kind of already been in some conversations uh, regarding this topic because we were part of a group discussion with some teachers at a church school mm-hmm. in our town. And we kind of had a, uh, a professional development discussion about this, but I wanted to talk about it on the podcast because I think it's super interesting. Mm-hmm. So I've been reading this book, or I read this book called The Seven Laws of Teaching Yes. by John Milton Gregory. Yep. I still need to do some biographical research on him. I really don't know much about him. I know he lived <laughs> circa 1800s, something around there. Um, he was, I mean, obviously a Christian, the, uh, this book, the seven laws of teaching, um, was, had a lot of scripture references and things like that, but it has, there's been later editions that are more, I guess, secularized to, I guess, appeal to a wider audience. Um, but it's a really interesting book. Um, and it has, and it, it basically is what it says is like several chapters on what he calls laws of teaching. Mm -hmm. And when he says laws, he is talking more about it from the definition of like a scientific law Mm -hmm. as opposed to like a legal law. Yes. So when he says seven laws of teaching, what he means is these are seven principles for teachers to know about that have to do with teaching, but also have to do with the learner and what learning is and the lesson you give. These are seven universal principles that apply to all teachers and all learners teaching all lessons. Mm -hmm. And so whether you're a math teacher or an elementary teacher or a college professor, um, he has this book of like seven principles that apply to all of those situations um, for all time. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of a bold claim because it's like, man, there's a you'd think there's pro- there's definitely a lot of variation and a lot of like circumstantial, um, subjective kind of variation in different teaching contexts. But surely we could all agree that like there's bad teachers and there's good teachers at every level, and there's effective learners and there's ineffective learners, and surely there's something that the effective teachers and learners have that would be uncommon. So uh, I thought it was an interesting book. You're looking at me like you want the AC turned back on. I have to have it on. I can't pay attention. Okay. <laughs> I'm so hot. I'm sorry. It was the nonverbals that really gave it away. Thank you. I'm going to turn the window unit back on. I don't think the listeners can actually hear it. So once my uh, app connects back to the internet, we should be able to turn it back on. Okay. Thanks, babe. There I apologize, but I literally was falling asleep. I can't focus. Okay. No more heat stroke. We're back on. Thank you. Okay. So anyway, this book is like really interesting. And I, and I, I mean, I've been a teacher for going into my fifth year now. Um, and I've known about this book since I was in college, but I'm just, I just now got around to reading it recently. So I don't want to talk about the whole book. Right. Um, I just want to talk about some of my favorite chapters or some of my favorite laws, which is law number two and law number six. Out of the uh-huh. seven, we might kind of talk about law number five because six, five and six kind of go together. But I think these are just really interesting principles that uh, that I think I agree apply for, to all teachers um, or all learners, um, regardless of any other circumstantial 
things that are going on there. So I don't know. For anyone who's not familiar with the book, let me just read all seven laws. They're just a sentence each, just to kind of get an idea of what's going on. So the seven laws have to do with the teacher, the learner, and the lesson that's being taught. So law number one is the teacher must be one who knows the lesson or truth to be taught. And he says this a lot in the book of like, these sound like duh statements, Mm -hmm. and they are, but when you unpack them, you realize that there's a lot of profound, I think, truth to these statements. So law number one, the teacher uh, must be one who knows the lesson or truth to be taught. Okay, great. Uh, Law number two, which is something I want to talk about today, the learner is one who attends with interest to the lesson given. Uh, Law number three, the language used between the teacher and the learner must be common to both of them. Law number four is the lesson to be learned must be explicable in terms of truth already known by the learner. The unknown must be explained by the known. That's a very interesting one. Uh, Law five, teaching... Uh, the process of teaching is arousing and using the pupil's mind to form in it a desired conception or thought. And then, so that's the teaching process. So teaching is arousing the pupil's mind to form uh, a desired conception or thought. And then law six is the learning process is when you are thinking into your own understanding a new idea or truth. And then law seven, the test and proof of teaching done the finishing and fastening process must be a reviewing, rethinking, re-knowing, and reproducing of the lo- knowledge taught. So I kind of just blazed through those, um, but there's a lot to. There's actually a lot to unpack with each of those statements, and sure, uh, as proven by there's a whole book about it. So anyway, I definitely highly recommend this book. But I wanted to talk about law two and six. Okay. And the and I don't know. Do you have thoughts, or are you gonna say something? Well, I just wanted to say that like there is a whole book about this. It's an easy read, though. Like I would recommend it to people, and if possible, I would recommend it in like a group setting because I think a lot of the discussions that are encouraged and started by it are really beneficial. Yeah, and I think and fun. Even if you're not a teacher, mm-hmm. I would like to think that we all should be learners. Yes. And we do all find ourselves in the role of a teacher. Yeah. I mean, these apply to, like, I think of in my job, the way when I train new people or work with volunteers or try to do announcements on Sunday, even. like You're just, trying to communicate something. Yeah, yeah. There are different different applications. Yep. Or you're trying to explain a board game to all of your friends. There you go. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, so I think um, this this role of teacher and learner applies to everyone, even if it's not your professional vocation or anything like that. Yeah, but, but it is also definitely meant for someone who is your vocation. Yeah, so that is. if you're a teacher, listen up, go read the book. If you're not a teacher, but you know someone who is a teacher, send this to them and tell them to read the book because it's great. Yeah, all right, that's <laughs> it. But anyway, yeah, so Law 2 and Law 6 are about the learner and the learning process. And uh, this is something that, Like these principles were taught to me when I was like in teacher school in college. Um, But this book really expands on these ideas in ways that I think are really cool. So law two is the learner is the one who attends with interest to the lesson given. Mm -hmm. And so another way of saying that, if like if you were going to say it like a rule for a teacher, you could say what the teacher needs to do is you need to gain 
and keep the attention or the interest of the students during the lesson. Another way you could say it is refuse to teach without their attention. Mm. Um, And so I think what this is getting at is that in order for someone to learn, Mm -hmm. they have to want to learn. Yeah. Which is an interesting idea because... The, the, it says the learner is the one who attends with interest to the lesson given. And the way you attend with interest is you give your attention to something. And it's an interesting thing. Like we talked about this with our, with some other teachers is you could ask the question, is it possible to force someone to pay attention to something that they don't want to? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and we talked about like, no, you can force behavior. You can make it seem like they're looking at you and they're sitting quietly, but you have no clue what's going on in their head. And more than likely, especially if you have to push it too far, they're totally like checked out. Yeah. Um, another, yeah. And so it's an interesting thing of like, I can tell someone like, Hey, pay attention. I'm talking. And sometimes like that works. Sure. But the interest, but if you think about it, what's interesting is that you told them to pay attention, but they didn't pay attention until they decided to. Like they had to decide sure. to be like, oh, Mr. Floyd told me to pay attention, so now I'm going to do it. Right. Whereas if I said, hey, pay attention, they could look at me and like pick up their pencil or whatever, but that doesn't automatically mean they're paying attention. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know, maybe I'm just a nerd, but this is a fascinating, <laughs> this is a fascinating principle, I think, with teaching or with psychology is that like... Mm-hmm. You can't, you, it is actually literally impossible to force someone to learn something they don't want to learn. Yeah. Where, and, and what I mean by that is like when you're, when you're learning something new in your brain is happening, you are taking a new information, you're making a new connection that you didn't know before. Um, something new is happening in your brain and that is different than you looking at the teacher not talking, uh, even reading a book, completing your worksheet, you know, working on a group project. Like you can do all of those things without actually paying attention. Yeah. Which is a fascinating thing. I don't know. Okay. Yes, I agree with this. But I'm also curious. Yeah. So then how does this work with like brainwashing or like things that like I don't know. Like an occult? Situations of abuse where you can be forced into things. Yeah. I don't know. And maybe that's a little dark. Like I'm thinking even of the show Severance that we watched, you know, and like they have to repeat the thing over and over and over again until they like believe it, you know? Yeah. So like you're thinking of like the show where the worker gets in trouble and then... They're like, you're in trouble and you have to apologize. And she's like, I'm not going to apologize. But then they like sit her down in a room and like she literally can't leave until she says it. Genuinely. Like a thousand times. Right. And she's there for hours and you realize like it's like quasi torture. Yes. Where they're like forcing her to say like, I'm sorry for what I did and I'll be better basically. Yeah. Yeah. So. Or just even, I don't know, I think of different like regimes that have happened Mm -hmm. where like that you're not wanting to go with it but you're kind of forced into it. And just by being there, even unwillingly, like you learn about it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So how does that factor in? So I guess what I would say to that, that's actually a really interesting question. What I would say is that they, so in like 
the show Severance, they forced, is her name Helly? Helen? Uh-huh. Helly. They forced, they had to start with behavior. Sure. They had to force her to sit in the chair and then they had to force her to say the words. Right. And the whole premise of that scene is that she could say those words, I'm sorry, I'll be better, like whatever the phrase was, yeah. like 900 times yeah. and not actually mean it. Right. Or for the sake of this conversation, without really giving her attention to it or wanting to learn it, like internalize it. Okay. So maybe it is it is possible to learn at some level with no attention, but like... So, well, and and I would say no. Okay. It is possible to memorize something uh-huh. or say something uh-huh. uh, against your will. Okay. But I wouldn't call that learning. So Fair like, enough. like if, I, if I just found someone and was like, okay, repeat after me. Energy cannot be created or destroyed in a chemical reaction. Energy cannot be okay, created. Okay, no, no, no. <laughs> you can say that until you're blue in the face and you can't forget it. But did you really learn about chemistry or did you really learn about energy? Okay. Not really. Okay. And then, so and that this, also then lo- takes a look at your definition of learning. Right. So I'm saying learning is I have a, a new understanding of something that I didn't understand before, or I've made a connection that I didn't understand before. So it makes sense that in these situations, and like I'm also thinking of regimes of like communist regimes or things like that. Yeah, like North Korea. Like the point is not you learning and having an an understanding of what is happening. The point is literally, right. It's about compliance. Okay. And, And you can get to a point where maybe you break down someone's will that in order to survive Mm -hmm. or in order to, you know, they have to, then they, then there, there is a turning point. And I was going to get to this, like in severance, there's a turning point where she gives in Yeah, and she's like, okay, after a thousand times, I actually am sorry. And I will be like, yeah. But the point of that scene for the sake of this conversation is like, there's a shift in her attention or her will. Mm -hmm. And so obviously that's like, a super extreme example. So, yeah. But I would say she didn't learn anything. Uh-huh. She complied. Okay. Um, cool. And it should never get to that place in the classroom. Sure. <laughs> that yes. Obviously, I just goes I don't know. without saying. Uh, yeah. I just, that was a question I had in my brain. And so I wanted to. Yeah. That's valid. Throw it out. Yeah. So it's just a fascinating thing. So, like, what this means for me as a teacher, because obviously I'm a I'm a chemistry teacher, a science teacher, and and you teach at a church school, mm-hmm. um, is that if I know this, then I have to understand that my job I you can't really compel attention. You can compel behavior, right? But you can't compel attention, and you can't compel the desire to learn, right? And so then my goal then is not to compel it, but to attract attention. Uh-huh. And to nurture a desire to learn or um, attract a desire to learn, maybe is a way to say it, um, but I can't compel it. Mm-hmm. And so there can be a lot of different ways of going about that. I mean, the easiest way is like, hey, guys, can we pay attention? Like, it's time to learn. Like, sometimes that's all it takes. Sure. And then they, you know, with their own volition, their own will, they then pay attention. But in an ideal sense, I am trying to attract their attention so that they willingly attend to the lesson with interest, mm-hmm. which is just, which is interesting. Um, 
And so it, it also just reminds me of this idea that teachers are not transmitters of knowledge. Okay. They are instead. So what they, and so I, this phrase I have here is they are, they're like leaders or guides mm. who are working to try to get the student to think about the lesson or the truth or whatever we're learning about in their own mind. Mm-hmm. And you can maybe be like, well, that's the same thing. You're, you know, you're transmitting knowledge. Well, but there's a, I think there's a slight but really important difference. If I am merely a transmitter of knowledge, what that sounds like to me is I just need to say what you need to learn. And as long as I can say it clearly and correctly, then you will learn it. Mm. Yeah. And that's just not true. Um, I mean, if you don't believe me, just go to YouTube and find a lecture about some really complicated topic that you don't know about. And I'm sure the professor or whatever, whoever is saying it can say it perfectly clear, completely accurate, no mistakes. But unless you are attending to it and thinking it in your own brain with your own attention, you're really not going to learn anything. Right. Which is, I don't know. I think, I just think that's really fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a little phrase I have in my notes is the goal of a teacher is to arouse attention and attract attention, not compel attention. Right. So I don't know. I also could think of this like in terms of parenting too. Like you can tell your kid, you know, you better, um, I don't know, brush your teeth because whatever, the dentist is going to be expensive if you get cavities. Like you, we can tell our kids all this stuff, but if we want them to really internalize it, we have to somehow find a way to attract and garner their attention. Okay. How do I do that with getting my kid to brush his teeth? I don't know. Well, okay. <laughs> I guess I'm kind of going, that was a good, that was a good uh, question. I guess that that's probably a different thing because brushing your teeth is a behavior, right? That's not learning right. something. So learning a life lesson would be like, I don't know, um, being disciplined. Like I want to teach my kid to be disciplined. Mm-hmm. Somehow I have to get them interested in being disciplined. Hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because I could make them do all the disciplined things of mm-hmm. go to bed on time, brush your teeth, get your homework done early, don't procrastinate, eat good food, be, you know, whatever, all the discipline things. Right. But if they really, really don't want to be disciplined and they never, ever do want that, they're not going to become disciplined. Yeah. Or, to, or maybe be kind, right? I can tell them and make them do things that are kind of like, oh, hold the door for grandma, you know, or just whatever. <laughs> uh-huh. But until they decide, I want to be a kind person, it doesn't stick. You seem dubious. I'm really tired. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're supposed to be conversational. Oh, well. I don't know. Are you... Are you uh... Wow, I can't even words. Are you attracting my attention? I'm sure trying, but <laughs> I'm trying to attract it, but I can't force it. That's true. I'm trying. It's yep. Cool. Anyway. Continue. I'll just I'll just rant to the listeners. It'll be fine. No, don't do that. All right. Um yeah, so anyway, law two, yeah. The learner is one who attends with interest to the lesson given. And 
the reason that that's important is because in order to learn, so if I skip down to law number six, which is also about the learner, law number six says the learner must reproduce in his own mind the truth to be acquired. Mm -hmm. And so this, this is called the law of the learning process. So this is defined. So law two defined who is a learner or what is a learner. The learner is the person that attends with interest. But learn, the learning process, if we were to define, well, what is the process of learning? The process of learning is when you are re reproducing in your own mind or maybe in your own body if you're learning like a physical skill, like playing drums or guitar or something like that, reproducing it in your own body the truth or the lesson that's being taught. Yeah. Sorry. The thought that just hit me is that like I feel like law six and two could become a cycle that like feeds into like a positive feedback loop. Yeah. How so? Because when you can attract the attention and then they can start reproducing it in their own minds, then they're more attentive because they're like wrestling with it and figuring out how to get it in their own language. And so then they're continuing to like reproduce it in their mind. So then they're asking more questions. They're like figuring out more things. They're like, and so if, if you can start off, I don't know, I'm just thinking of a student in particular that I have that like, if they're not super into math one day, uh -huh. if I can get them to like, if I can attract their attention with a question or like saying it in their language, which is another one of the rules, yeah. like saying it in their language and then they're like, what? And then they go, wait, so you mean this? Like they start putting it in their own language and putting it in their own thoughts, their own words. Then they're like, oh, wait, so then this? And then, and so then that, like they engage themselves. I don't have to, I don't have to like lecture to them. I just say something that like sparks something in them where there was a previous misunderstanding or a previous partial understanding. Yeah. And then that's when they actually start learning it. Right. And that's, that's way, when they're actually that's getting way it. easier than being like, well, just do the thing. Right. Right. If we just resort to, well, just do the, do the behavior. We've, we've then given up on learning. Yeah. We're just going for compliance. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because that actually reminded me of something I wanted to say. But I'm going to come back to it. Okay. Um, so the learn. So another way, a simple way of saying it is, learning is doing. Sure. You have to do it to really learn it. And I like what he says in um, in the chapter for for law number six is that like the learning process is he talks about there's different levels of learning. Of course. We could be like, well, did you learn the chemistry or did you not learn the chemistry? And it's like, well, that's an oversimplified question because according to this guy, there's five levels of learning. Yeah. And we kind of discussed this earlier. I'm levels two and three kind of sound like the same thing to me, but whatever. There's multiple levels of learning. Yeah. So the, the base level of learning is, can you say the right thing? So, yes. So like, yeah. So like, so at that level, I know chemistry. Sure. Can you say energy is not created or destroyed in a chemical reaction? Like, yes, you can say that. Right. So I can right. be like, and could you write that back on a test? Could you give the could, law when given the name? Could you match it? Could right. you put true or false in the blank and get the right one? Tell you, you know? what, I can nail those tests. There I you. am good at memorization. <laughs> right. So like, but that is something like your brain has connected. Like these are the words I say when prompted in this way. Mm -hmm. 
but that is like the most shallow, superficial level of learning. Bummer. But it's a place to start. Yeah. Right? You got to start somewhere. Yes. Whereas a level up from that would be, can you say it in your own words? Mm-hmm. Or can you take the lesson and at least articulate what you're supposed to be learning? Right. That's the second one. So, Saying it in your own words is number three, right? Is the second level, yes. No, the third level. Yes, the third level. I'm sorry. Yeah. Whereas the second level... Um, is can you communicate the idea? What is the idea the we're supposed to be learning? Yeah. yeah. So... Which is the gray area that Daniel and I talked through earlier today because it's very close. Yeah. So, yeah. So can you repeat it back? Can you say like, well, what's the point that you're supposed to be learning is, Mm -hmm. I guess, level two. Level three is can you put it in your own words? Can you say it in your own language? Mm -hmm. And so as a teacher, if I want my students to be learning at higher levels, I need to be making room for that. Right. Yeah. And there's multiple ways I do that. I do that with classroom activities. Mm-hmm. Am I, if I only ask kids to say it in the words I give them, and then when they try to like say it in a different way, if I shut them down and go, well, no, that's not the right word. Remember our vocabulary. We need to use the vocabulary words. So you have to say it this way and you can't say anything like that. Well, how do I know they really understand the depth of meaning? Right with these vocabulary words that I'm wanting them to use. Right. And I don't know, this is just an interesting thing that I've talked about with a lot of other teachers too, is that we obviously want kids to expand their vocabulary and learn like the technical terms related to the topic we're talking about. Um, Like in chemistry, I want you to know what a solvent is and what a solute is and what dissociate means and like all these chemistry words. But just because you said the word doesn't mean you fully understand all of the meaning yeah. that's, that is baked into that word. Mm-hmm. And so as a teacher... Or dissolved. There you go. Dissolved. There you go. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Um, just couldn't. Dissociate. Right. Um, as a teacher, I need to be making room for kids to put things in their own words, whether that's in a classroom discussion or whether that's in a written, like giving them like an essay question. Right. So on a test, if my whole test is multiple choice, yeah, and Which, they circle the right one, do I? Did, are they at level one where they can just recognize the right answer when it's put in front of them, mm-hmm. or do they have a level three understanding to where they could put it in their own words? Right. And well, you if don't know. I don't know unless I actually make a test question that is tar- is like at a level three, a level three tr- test question. Yeah. And so. This is just something for for us teachers to be thinking about. So when you do that, like I'm thinking about, I know I'm kind of switching topics, but with your standards-based, the stuff you're looking at. Yeah, standards-based so, grading. So do you, in every single area, like with every standard, do you on each test make a level one, level two, level three, and level four question? Basically, for yes. For each standard? Yep. To then assess where they are on each standard. Exactly. That's kind of cool. Yeah. So just to kind of explain what we're talking about here. So I am getting into something called standards-based grading. I've never done it before, but I've learned a lot about it and I'm going to be trying it for the first time in chemistry. Yeah. So like, for example, um, I guess, well, my favorite example is like if we're talking about gases, so sorry, chemistry, we're talking about chemistry stuff. Do what you know. Um, 
if this flies over your head, I apologize. Um, so like a level one understanding would be like, if I decrease the pressure on a balloon, what happens to its volume? If I decrease the pressure, it's like, well, you should be like, it expands. Right. When you decrease pressure, volume increases and right. vice versa. So on a quiz, I would put questions like that of like, just give me like, just spit out the right answer. Mm. And I'm just going to give you a very cut and, cut and dry like prompt. Right. That would be level one. Yeah. And then like, and then like a level two um, would be like, okay, so what kind of relationship is that? Inverse. Inverse relationship. And yeah. I could say that and I win? Indirectly proportional. Yeah. Something like that. Or what is, Okay. So it's like, okay, good. So like you can tell me what happens and then you can like kind of just say the principle. Two for four. Let's keep going. Yeah. What's three? Well, so this is kind of, so in the book we're talking about there's five levels, but right. in my grading thing, there's four levels because I'm doing it differently. Yeah. But Sorry. You're fine. Uh, so then level three, we said like putting it in your own words. According to, so we're back to Gregory. Yeah. Uh, okay. Okay. John Mill and Gregory. Um, the standards. Got it. Yeah. So for him, level three is like putting it in your own words. So as a teacher, if I want to know whether or not you can do that, I have to write a question that actually targets that. Which, what would that be as a question? Because I could like say, like, tell me a story about the relationship between basically that without, volume and pressure. Yeah. So what I would say is, here's, here's, a, here's a space on the test. Uh -huh. Explain to me how pressure and volume are related. Uh -huh. I could say that. Or I could say, explain to me how volume would be affected if I increased and then decreased the pressure on a balloon. Okay. And you having to write that in a blank space yeah. is different than you having to pick A, B, C, or D on a multiple well, choice. Absolutely. Yeah. Right? Sure. You have to like remember the, the concept and then you have to put it in your words and actually write it all out right. in a grammatically correct, you know, coherent fashion. And that's more fleshed out than just level two, which is describe the relationship. Yeah. Level two being just like they're indirectly proportional. It's like, well, OK, well, what does that mean? Can you explain that in your own words? Sure. So levels one and two is just like, okay. can you say the buzzwords? OK. Level three is like, well, prove to me that you can like apply this. Okay, so in then words. what's level four? So then according to the book, level four is can you explain why? Can you prove why or give evidence for why this is true? So can you back it up? And so now this is I mean, this is gonna look different in different areas. How does it look with the volume and pressure? Uh well, you'd have to do an experiment. So, um, I don't know if I was going to do that. So if we're sticking with the gases thing on your test, what's a kid going to do? So this would be, I'm going to blow your mind. Ready? Yeah. A lab based test. Oh, fun. Exactly. Mind explodes. Is that a thing? Oh yeah. Wow. I'm not a chemist. <laughs> <laughs> I recently went to a, a conference for chemistry teachers a and, lab -based test? and there were whole sessions that I went to of like how to make lab based tests where you test your kids knowledge by having them do a lab. That's fun. Yeah. And you literally just, so wait, how does that? There's a bunch of logistics and what we won't get into, but right. like, but you it, have to tell me off air. Yeah. Or I can tell you later, but like it is a thing and people do it huh. and it works. That sounds fun. I'm also just reflecting. So I loved the school that I went to. 
and I'm a nerd, so that helped for sure. Sure. But I'm reflecting and going, hmm. Can you expound on that silence? <laughs> I, uh, it only required like a level one. Because what? So logistically, what did your school look like? It was literally like, read this thing, answer these questions. It was a small church school that was self-paced. Yeah. And um, you had booklets, and you completed the booklets. Yes. I'm not going to name drop so as not to throw anyone under any No, buses. I'm not saying names. I'm just, for people listening who sure. don't know what your school looked like, yeah. we need to like okay. explain that. Sure. Yes. But yeah, like I loved it. I remember a lot because... You were self-motivated. Yeah. And you were interested in school. Yes. You still are. Yes. Or at least learning. <laughs> and so like when the booklet was like, here's the lesson, read the lesson answer the worksheet questions well and it was so far as like then we would check our own work and against the answer key against the answer key Uh and if it was not using the right words yeah it didn't count uh -uh. Mm. you're in trouble like you had to use the buzzwords right to show that you knew what you were supposed to know right and there were areas where it was like, okay, now have like your teacher look this over, but not very many. And I remember one of my brother's classmates would get in arguments all the time with our principal hmm. because he would like expand because he was like super smart and he would like expand on and like fight the tests. He'd be like, no, that's stupid. Like, what about this and this and this and this and this and this and this? And my principal's like, go away. <laughs> not exactly, but like, plus he all had a bad attitude about it so there's that but your brother no the principal a person in his class okay the student had a bad attitude yes not the principal no 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 okay yeah but i'm just i'm thinking i'm wondering what school could have been with good teachers yeah who took it way deeper yeah how much further could you have gone yeah yeah and so yeah this kind of goes back to like if we skip over to law five of this book, law five is what teaching is. Mm -hmm. And so the teaching process is, um, arousing and using the pupil's mind to form in it, the desired conception or thought. Yeah. And so teachers are not transmitters of knowledge. Uh They are mind awakeners. Yeah. They have a conversation with you. Yeah. And they are, because of their expertise and because they're actually a human who can like interact with you, they can, they should be able to figure out what you actually know and then have a human to human interaction with you, whether that's a conversation or whatever, or sometimes just lecturing, but have a human to human interaction where then they are not telling you the right information necessarily. Like they do do that. Like that does happen. Uh Uh-huh. But they do it in such a way where you are thinking the correct answers or you are thinking the the correct concepts. You are coming to the right conclusions with your own brain. They're trying to turn your brain on yeah. so that your brain does the learning. Which is why college was so much fun. <laughs> because? Yeah. Because I had humans to talk to. Right. Okay. As opposed to booklets in high yeah. school. <laughs> yeah. It was great. Yeah. So, so yeah, there's depths of knowledge and depths of understanding, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of why I like, I've been listening to podcasts about people that are advocating for 
alternative schooling methods besides public school, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. in principle I agree with. I think there should be a lot more variety in what school can look like and different models and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, homeschooling can be a great option. Like I have nothing against that. Um, but one thing I kind of disagree with with some of these podcasts I've listened to is they're like, parents, you don't have to know all the subjects in order to homeschool your kids. You have Google. Like you can just get on Google and find resources and then your kids can learn from the resources. Yeah. And that can work. Yeah. Assuming you find good resources. Right. And assuming you have a kid who actually is going to attend with interest to those lessons. Yeah. But how do you know that's happening or not? Right. Like you can find Khan Academy and be like, here, little Jimmy, learn algebra. Yeah. I think there's so many variables with this love because like in the same, in the same vein, nope, different vein at the same time there, I'll say that Yeah, you can go to any school that has teachers and who's to say that those teachers are any good. Yeah, that's fair. You know what I mean? Yep. So if you have a parent who is determined to like, pay attention to their students learning and like learn more as a teacher. I think that could work just as well as a lot of schools where teachers don't give a rip. Yep. And that's true. And so I think my point is, is that we need to have more sophistication in these types of conversations. Yeah. Instead of being like, Oh, if there's a, an adult in the front of the room that calls themselves the teacher, then you'll be fine. That's not necessarily true. Right. But then to go to the other extreme of like, well, you don't need a teacher, just use Google. That's also not necessarily true. Right. And I, and I, and the, again, this is like why I really like this book we're talking about is because it gives language to the things that do matter. Yeah. What matters is, is the learner attending with interest to the lesson? Are they paying attention? Right. And that applies to homeschool or public or classroom school. Yeah. And then, well, what is learning? Learning is when the student thinks the lesson, the concept, the truth with their own mind. Yeah. Yeah. And so then you have, and that can happen or not happen in either setting. Yeah. And so it's interesting. Well, and then coming, so trying to come all the way back around. So we were talking about the levels of learning. Yeah. Level. So level one is just, can you say it back to me word for word? Level two is, can you tell me like the principle or the point of this that you're supposed to be getting out of it? Sure. Level three is, can you say it in your own words? Okay. Level four is, can you give the evidence or the proof or the explanation of why this is true? Cool. Level five, Uh according to the book, and I would argue depending on the subject, um, level four and level five could be inter- like, I would say level five is actually lower or level four is higher, but whatever level five is, can you apply this truth or this lesson to your own life? Yeah. And so depending on the situation, I think that applying it would be the highest form of learning. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes I would say what he calls level four, can you explain it and prove it to me? I think in other situations, that's the highest form of learning. Yeah. I, I'm curious what you might mean by that, because when I think of application of knowledge, that's wisdom, and that is higher than knowledge. Yeah, so like wisdom is like the, Dave Ramsey says, like the art of living life well. Yeah. So when you do it right, well, and then I've you just, really learn it. I've just always learned also that wisdom is knowledge applied properly. Yeah, there you go. Like knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit 
Wisdom is knowing not to put it in a fruit salad. Uh, yeah, sure. That kind of thing. That's a meme version of that. But yeah. yes. Yeah. But it's the meme. And now you'll remember like. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. So I think I don't know. Like, what would you say would flip that? So in so like a simple example could be like if you're learning a physical skill, uh-huh. obviously applying it is the most important thing. If you are learning basketball. Sure. I would say the highest form of learning is can you do the bas- do the basketball things. Okay. So if I found, if you're trying to learn how to shoot a free throw, the highest form is like can you do it? Sure. Whereas a level 4 would be like can you explain why this is the correct technique? Okay. And you could be like, well, this I I need to have my fingers this way and my thumbs need to be this way and like I need to hold the ball this way and like like that's level 4. Is like can you just explain why this is true? Okay. Level five is, well, can you put the basketball in the net, in sure. the hoop? So then what would be a situation where... So then where... where it's flipped, I think of like math. I was going to ask, but here, uh, give so, your side and then I have a rebuttal. So math or like, I'm thinking of like math that shows up in a chemistry class. So sorry, math again, or chemistry again. It's but okay. like doing it sometimes is the easier part. Where if like you just get like the kid, they know the formula they're supposed to use. They know what they're supposed to plug in. And so they do it and they apply it. And it's like, okay, great. You did the math. Whereas I would say it would be a higher level for them to explain how this formula works and why it is the way it is. Yeah. And like almost teaching the math. Yeah. Is a higher level than just doing the equation. Yes. So in that sense, I would flip those two things. I wondered about that. But then what about then having to know the math to the extent to then take it and apply it to this real life thing? Yeah. That so would you be have like, to know. It would be like a different level five. Right. Which I think would be the real level five. It's not the just yeah. can you do two plus two? Oh, good job, level five. Like, no. Like... Can you recognize in this situation that that's the math you need to do? Yeah. And make it happen. I I would say if that's what you're talking about, that's the, that's the true highest learning. That's what I think of because yeah. I agree with you that at first I thought, well, no, math is way harder to tell me why. Like, why does that work? But then I realized, well, but if you go a step beyond that and have to realize you have to know the why for a level five question because you have to recognize that you're pulling that, like, the why answers, or that's backwards. But you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. that why that you know is the answer to this question. Yeah. And therefore, you apply it. Yeah. So, takeaways for teachers. If you, if, so there's kind of an if here, if you want your kids to actually learn to that highest level to where they can do it, yeah. how are you, first of all, giving them opportunities to do it? Yeah. And then how are you challenging them and then assessing them or measuring whether or not they can do it? Mm-hmm. And this is kind of an interesting thing when it comes to science in particular, because a lot of teachers might be like, well, I do labs. Like, we're doing the science. Mm-hmm. Well, is that a level five where the kid is applying what they've learned in an original way? Mm-hmm. Or is this actually like a level one 
where you're giving them the instructions, you're telling them what to do, they are following what the paper says, they're pouring the chemicals in, they write down their observations, and then you explain to them why it's true, and then they write that down and they turn it in. Well, and I'm realizing that with my math knowledge, like, I love math. Like, I'm just a nerd and I really enjoy math. Yeah. But... The crossover into real life, like when kids ask me, like, well, I'm never going to use algebra in my real life. Why do I have to learn it? And I know you use it all the time. But also, I can think of situations where I'm doing my daily job, yada, yada, and I come across a problem and I struggle with it for a long time because my brain does not go, oh, this is that algebraic principle. Let's just plug that in. Bada, bada, bing. Ta-da. normally I mess around on a piece of paper for a while and then finally go, wait a second, this has this relationship. Oh, I'm an idiot. You know what I mean? But right. I never learned it at that level yeah. of like, this is how this applies in the real world. Yeah. And I think so often, I don't know if it's the teachers or the schools or how the teachers were taught, but there's so much of that missing. Yeah. And I would love to be able to do that with my students. Like I would love to learn it at that level where I am using algebra in my daily life knowingly, happily, because I love it. So that then when my students ask those questions, I can go, oh, well, like here, this thing. Or like a lot of our students volunteer um, where I work. And so like giving them opportunities to be like, hey, look, we're going to use this thing. Yeah. And just do that. I would really, yeah. Anyway, that's kind of a side yeah. thing, but I would really enjoy doing that. Yeah. And so this is just something that I've been thinking a lot about for me as a teacher of like, how can I push my students to that highest level of learning? And then how can I challenge them to actually go there? Yeah. Because I can tell them, you need to learn this so you can apply it. Well, if I just say that, but act, don't actually give them authentic ways to do it, right. that I'm just... I'm kind of being a hypocrite. Okay. And here's a question, Daniel. Yeah. My love. Yes. How practical is it for a high schooler to actually have context where they're going to be applying everything they're learning in chemistry? Does that make sense? Is that an unfair question? Uh, not necessarily. You know, because some things in math, I feel the same way where they're like, this is dumb. Like, I'm not going to use this. And I think, you know what? unless you do a specific thing where you need to know how logarithms work, you're kind of right. You're not going to ever need to apply this in your life. Yeah. You know what I mean? So then at what point do you have that honest conversation of like, well, all the time. Cool. Uh, yeah. And I would say, you know, Mr. Floyd, when am I going to use this in my life? I go, I don't know. I don't know your life. Yeah, that's true. Cause you're preparing them for, Whatever. Well, I'm not doing anything. They chose to take chemistry. It's an optional class. Well, yeah, you for cho- you, Algebra 1 is not. Right. So we then need to have a broader conversation of why are we making kids learn things All right. as opposed to learning not learning this but not learning that. This is not the episode for that, though. Right. Focus, man. But that... <laughs> wow, I love how you asked the question. I know. Sorry. <laughs> but, like, no, that's a valid thing. Yeah. But yeah. so, so that's a whole other bigger picture conversation of like, well, how do we design the curriculum? Yeah. But if we assume that like we're in this class and we're going to actually learn this topic, like sure. we want to go to level five. And it's cool because 
I noticed how in this conversation, like you got more excited when we talked about the higher level, mm. which feeds back into law too of like, well, the, the student needs to attend to the lesson with their own attention and with interest. Mm -hmm. That is way more easier when they actually get to apply stuff and like do it in the real world. Yeah. So it's like a, it's a positive feedback loop. What? A positive feedback loop. Which is great. And so, I don't know, I was just reminded of like, I don't do this in every, every like chapter or every topic I teach, but I'm working on incorporating this more and more and more mm -hmm. in my lessons. Well, and do you realize that this is what we're talking about? Meta. But we, as teachers, are trying to figure out how to level five this information in front of us. Yes, sure. <laughs> Let me give you an example. All right. So like a, a fun example is like uh, with my freshman science class, we learn about heat, heat energy, temperature, like mm -hmm, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And so a really boring question could be like, what's the law of conservation? I keep coming back to this thing. What's the law you of do. conservation of energy? It's like energy is not created. Yeah, it's, it's only transferred from one place to another. It's like, okay, great, boring, blah, blah, blah. You can say the sentence, but do you really understand it? Sure. Or we, so then there's two things I'm, I'm saying oh, here for okay. law six of the learning process. If I want you to go to a higher level of learning, I want you to apply this in some way. Yeah. Another way, another thing is I want to get your attention. One way I get your attention is by asking interesting questions. Yes. So being like kids, what's the law of conservation of energy? That's a boring question. Mm -hmm. An interesting question would be, Hey kids, Here's a window unit oh, that yeah. we've already talked about this, oh. but for those that are listening on the podcast, oh. here's a window unit <laughs> and I show, and I'm, I'm, for those of you who can't see, I pulled it up on my screen. Here's a window unit. Here's a picture of a window air conditioner that's hanging out of the window. And I go, explain to me why it has to be hanging out the window. Mm -hmm. Why can't you just have the air conditioner in the middle of your house? To which your lovely wife first replied, because that would be so spatially inefficient. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like you hang it out the window to save space. It's, I've never thought about this prior eh. to our conversations. Which is actually, yeah. Which is Why would I care? It hangs out the window. And yet somehow, like you say, you know the law of conservation of energy, but like. Do I? Uh, Do I? Or maybe that? it's law of conservation <laughs> of energy or just how heat works. Like whatever. No, you're totally right. I never, ever, ever, yeah. ever thought to apply that to that. So this is like. I don't know, the kid's not like doing it, like they're not building it, but I we're still applying this knowledge to the real world. Yeah. And so if anyone out there is listening, like, oh my gosh, just say like, why, why does it have to, it's like, well, energy can't be created or destroyed. So heat, temperature, hotness is a form of energy. Yeah. If you want things to be cold. You got to move the hot. You got to take the heat, the thermal energy and move it somewhere. Yep. That's how things get cold is when you remove heat energy. Mm -hmm. Well, you can't destroy energy. It has to go somewhere. So the outside. reason that the window unit has to hang out the window is so it can actually blow the hot air, the thermal energy, out of your house. And when all the th thermal energy leaves, it feels cold. Hmm. And so, like, so, so anyway, I say all of that to say, like, that is, A, an interesting question. True. So it hopefully is more likely to garner the attention of the students and the interest of the students. But then B, relating to law six, I'm trying to get the students to think about this concept with their own brains, mm -hmm. right? The learning process is when you think 
about the lesson with your own mind. And the way I can do that is by giving you a real world application and an interesting question. Yeah. So that's just like one tiny example of like what that could look like. Yeah. I wonder, I don't know. I would like to learn more about learning because I think I'm a very aggressive learner because when you bring no seriously, <laughs> aggressive, ser- no, seriously. Cause when you bring up these like level five questions, they trigger something in me that I remember of like, I remember times throughout my life when I would be asked a question that would make me mad. Oh no. Because I wouldn't, it wouldn't be like a, Oh, I have this memorized here. Let me just tell you. Mm-hmm. It would be like, what the, what, what, what do I do? I don't, I have to think what, like it took more work. Yeah. And like would be really frustrating because I actually had to think about it and mm. like apply something. And so I'm also thinking like as a high schooler, even as one who loved learning, I wasn't always down for that. Sure, because it's hard. Yeah. True learning at the highest level is actually really hard. And if you're doing that in every class, like... Yeah. <sighs> so then that's fair. That's a lot of brain. So then here's the other thing to keep in mind. Yeah, that's a lot of brain. It is. You don't learn level five learning every single hour every day. That's good. You don't? Sometimes I have to be like, okay, kids... Let's just read the chapter today. Okay. Right? Sure. Let, let's watch this 15-minute video just to introduce this concept. Okay. That takes the pressure off. You know I what feel, I mean? I feel Yeah. Better. So, like, this is another, like, this is also part of the art of teaching is, like, going, going up and down the levels. So, we want to arrive at a level five learning. Mm-hmm. But it's a whole other thing that we can talk about is, like, you don't just skip to level five and just cruise there. You have to go up and down. Okay. Right. We have to start with, we actually have to memorize stuff. Hooray. And we actually have to like repeat things back. Yeah. Which then makes sense. And do kind of like the mindless work. Like that's also a valid part of learning and teaching. Well, because that fills your toolbox so that as you climb higher, you have stuff to work with. Which is why my kids memorize the periodic table. Yeah, not the whole periodic table for anyone freaking out, but I have them memorize at least the first 56 elements, like through barium. Because when we get to the level five of like, like let's apply, yeah, it's like multiplication tables. You need to have it in your head so that you can move forward. Yes. And that's a whole other thing about cognitive load and how much, how much you can think about at one time. It's like you need to have some like rote memorization stuff so that you can then get to the level five where you're applying it. Yeah. If you're trying to remember what the fact is and you're trying to apply the fact. Not going to happen. Your brain can't do that at the same time. So. Yeah. Anyway. Yep. Yep. I think this is fascinating. I'm enjoying this. Yeah. So like (laughs) really cool um, ideas here Um, and really interesting stuff. And and like when you when you say like apply apply this concept. It doesn't have to be like a big, huge month long project. Like it can just be a little activity where like another fun one in chemistry is I I give my kids a piece of chalk Mm -hmm. and I go, okay, I want you to go draw a piece, a picture. Oh yeah, this one's fun. I want you to go draw a picture. We're going to go outside like, woo, going outside. Wow. Amazing. It is great. Yeah. We go outside and I say, draw a picture with your chalk. And then I go, tell me how many atoms are in your drawing. Go. And I just like leave it at that. And they're like, 
What? Little do they know that because of what we've learned about dimensional analysis and the mole and molar mass and like all this other stuff and like they can look up what chalk is made of, like what the, what elements are in it, there's actually a way to calculate the number of atoms or at least estimate, estimate the number of atoms that are in the drawing on the sidewalk. Crazy. And so like that's just a very simple way where like let's up, so let's apply like these calculations. I could give you a whole worksheet but there's something about like applying it in a new context that we yeah. haven't seen before. Yeah. We're like, there's actually learning that's happening there mm -hmm. when you're consolidating and making those connections of like, oh, this is how it applies in the real world. And it's fun. Yeah. And it's way more interesting. So you attend yeah. with interest and then you like chemistry and it's like, whoa, Mr. Floyd's the best teacher ever. No, sorry. Anyway, no, I not mean... that. You learn chemistry. Wow. <laughs> you learn chemistry. So yeah. all of that. Thank you. You're welcome. All of that to say, like, applying... Okay. okay. Sorry, I'm done. <laughs> uh, thank you. <laughs> applying knowledge doesn't have to be this giant project. It can right. be a small little activity okay. that takes That's, one class period. That helps. You but, know me. Overachiever over here. Sure. I'm starting to hyperventilate. For any teachers out there listening, like, just a... a re and, like, it's okay to, like, ask other teachers, like, how do you do this? Like, a lot of these ideas are not my necessarily original ideas, I like talk to other teachers and they give me ideas. So Do you have any math teacher friends right. that I should talk to? Sure. I can hook you up. Good math teacher friends? Yes. Okay. Cool. All right. Well, anyway, I think that's, uh, we should probably cut it off there. All right. But uh, thanks for talking to me about learners and the learning process. Yeah. Thanks for helping me attend with interest <laughs> you seem more interested now. i'm i am i'm more awake it also helps that the air is on now so i'm not like being lulled to sleep by suffocation i guess that helps it does it does cool yeah awesome well thanks for listening everyone thanks for being here Shalene. yeah have, have a great day yep, yep. bye bye